Hi, welcome to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I've got a little update. I'm sitting here recording this episode at the very end of October, and I'm thrilled to announce that I have enough patrons on Patreon to cover paying for the podcast hosting fees starting next month. We did it! Thank you to all my patrons, and a special shout out to Sarah, the newest patron, for your support. I'm going to be honest. I struggle with how to tell some of these stories. There's so many ways you can read and understand them. One of my goals in storytelling is partially to help my kids and other kids understand the culture I grew up in so they can understand the reasoning behind decisions conservative people like my family make. So I tend to think I should tell this story similarly to how I was told it. However, I also just want to tell the stories so kids can know them because sometimes they're fun and weird and interesting and part of our culture, and sometimes the way I was told a story is so incredibly different from how people have understood it for centuries, and so different from how the story looks when I read it myself now, that I feel like I'm not really doing the story justice if I tell it exactly how I was told it. I'm not really qualified to try to consistently decipher and retell how people have told the stories for centuries, but I feel like I can tell you what I was taught and how I understand things now. Sometimes I might be able to mesh the two together. Sometimes I might be able to mesh all three of those together. Um, But today I'm going to tell a story that can be understood in such different ways that by the time you get done interpreting them, they might as well not be the same stories anymore. So I'm planning to basically tell today's story twice. It's the story of the beginning of mankind, or humankind. You might think I already told you that one. Well, sort of. I told the creation account from Genesis 1 in episode 1 about the whole world and the universe, but this is a different story from Genesis 2 about humanity in particular. It's a myth that was foundational to the way the kind of people I knew lived their lives and raised their kids. This story is from Genesis chapter 2, and I think a little bit from chapter 3, right after the story from episode 1, and I think it's a separate creation myth from that one, but I was told it was part of the same historically accurate story. So in the beginning, God created everything except man and woman, and then he shaped some dirt and breathed life into it, and there was a man. He was called Adam. The man, Adam, started naming everything, but he didn't find anything that could be a partner to him. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he put him to sleep and pulled out one of his ribs, and the ribs he shaped into something kind of like the man, and the man saw her, and he said, whoa, man! Because she was, like, super pretty, and so she was called woman. Um, I must interject here. That's not actually in the text, but I heard it a lot. The story was, like, told that way all the time. Woman's actually an English word, and the Bible wasn't written in English. In fact, the English language didn't exist when Genesis was written. So uh, most stories trying to find biblical significance in the names of stuff in English are not really founded in reality. Although sometimes they can make funny jokes. That one, I think, got old really fast. Back to how I was told the story. And because God took a rib from Adam to make the woman, that's why all men have fewer ribs than women. To remind humanity that women came from men who came from God and should be ruled by men. And it proves that the Bible is true. Another interjection. That bit is also not in the text and is also wrong. Men don't have fewer ribs than women. In rare cases, people of any gender could have an abnormal number of ribs. But in general, male and female humans have 12 pairs. The claim was presented to me as proof of Genesis being true, but it's not founded in any kind of reality either. Now, back to the story again. God had put the man in the Garden of Eden, and in the center of the garden there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then God told the man, you can eat from any tree 
but don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat the fruit from that tree, you will surely die. This fruit gets called the forbidden fruit. Another side note, in the text, the woman actually wasn't made until after God gave this command to Adam, but usually people tell the story the way I've told it here, and it's kind of significant it gets told this way. So you have there in the garden any kind of fruit you could want and one tree that you can't eat from. And you have the man called Adam and the woman called the woman. And they lived in the garden together and wore no clothes and they were not ashamed. They lived in the garden and played with the animals and they ate delicious fruits from the trees for every meal every day. And none of the animals ever died. No one ever died. Nothing bad ever happened. And everyone was a vegetarian, including lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And the wild predator animals acted like pets, and Adam and the woman walked with God in the garden every evening when the air got cool. But there was also a character I haven't mentioned yet, the serpent. The serpent was more clever and crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he can talk, you see, because of how clever he was, he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, oh, we can eat from the trees, but the tree in the middle of the garden we can't eat from. God said, if we even touch it, we would surely die. And everyone here, when they tell the story, blames the woman for getting the command wrong. And that's why I wanted to point out to you that the woman wasn't a character yet when God gave Adam the command. So now that I'm an adult, I wonder maybe did Adam exaggerate the command to her? So the serpent said, you will not surely die. God knows if you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and it looked nice and also was good for gaining wisdom, she picked a fruit and she didn't die. And she ate it and she still didn't die. And then she gave some to her husband who was there the whole time and he ate it. Then their eyes were opened. These are metaphorical eyes. They weren't literally blind before this. And they knew they were naked and they were ashamed and they sewed leaves together to make clothes for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of God going for an evening walk in the garden. Just like every day, only today they hid. So God called out, where are you, Adam? And uh, Adam said, I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, that woman you put here, and he's like, he's like pointing at her probably. She gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. God spoke to the woman, what have you done? And then the woman said, the serpent more pointing fingers. He deceived me and I ate. Then God cursed the serpent. God doesn't ask the serpent his part of the story. God cursed him. Cursed are you above every animal. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust. And there will be war between you and the woman and your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will bite his heel. And according to how I was told the story, this is why snakes have no legs, because God cursed their legs right off for eternity. But also why snakes are evil animals, and you should never trust anyone who likes snakes. Um, apologies, because I've got a friend who loves snakes, and I really like her. So uh, I obviously don't believe that anymore. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I was told that actually this serpent wasn't just a serpent or a snake. He was the devil in disguise. But God still punished all the snakes anyways. The devil is the evil character set up in the Bible as the foil for God who tempts people to disobey God. 
Then God cursed the woman, saying, You will give birth to children. Oh, I forgot to do the voice. You will give birth to children, and it will be very painful, and your husband will rule over you. And that is why I was taught it was bad for women to take pain medicine when they gave birth to babies, and also why women in the groups I grew up in had to obey their husbands and usually didn't have any jobs or any money of their own. Also, this was the basic explanation for why women couldn't be in leadership in the church. For a lot of people I know, all the bad treatment of women goes back to this. And girls are told from a young age that they deserve that treatment because the first woman ate from the tree and got Adam to do it too. And therefore, every woman who has ever been born is easily tricked into sinning and should never lead men. Then God turned to Adam last, the one who'd actually been given the rule, and he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit I told you not to eat, the grounds will be cursed because of you. Thorns will grow and you will have to do hard work to have food to eat all the days of your life until you die and return to the ground. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that's why men have to work, and why a lot of conservative Christians are against welfare, universal basic income, or other social safety nets. Then Adam named his wife Eve, because she'd be the mother of all future people. Then God killed an animal, and Adam and Eve were really sad, because probably that was one of their friends, and no one had ever died before. And he used the animal skin to make clothes for them, and then he had scary angels chase them out of the garden, because there was the tree of life there. And God said, Now that man has become like us and knows good from evil, we can't let him eat fruit from the tree of life and live forever. Then God placed angels in a giant flaming sword to guard the entrance back into the Garden of Eden so they could never return and eat the fruit from the tree of life. At this point, you might be a teeny bit confused about what is in the text and what were the additions people made or the conclusions they drew and acted like they were from the text to excuse treating women badly. Well, you can go read it yourself in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 if you care about clarifying it. Uh, you don't have to buy a Bible. There's like, you can just look up Genesis 1 on the internet and you'll be able to, or Genesis 2 on the internet and you'll be able to find the text in various places. It's interesting because this is, at its root, just another origin story or myth people have told to explain the why, why things are the way they are. Like a just-so story or like older myths um, that a, a lot of cultures have. This story explains death, pain when having babies, and why farming is hard work and weeds grow in the field. But in many Christian groups, this story, perhaps more than any other story in the Bible, is used to explain how people should behave, especially, as I said, when it comes to not letting women have freedom or authority. It's fascinating to me that the husband ruling over Eve was a curse, and yet some women, some churches work hard to make sure women stay at home serving their husbands, not having any of their own money, not able to get free if their husband treats them or their kids badly. It always felt a bit wrong that a curse from God to one woman in a story from a long time ago is the formula for the best way to live your life and what you should tell your daughters and what you should tell your sons. I like to think about this story because you can take all the basic elements in the text and how you understand them and explain them can make it a very different story. So God makes this fancy garden, and everything's perfect, and nothing ever changes. And God makes a man. He shapes him from the dirt and breathes life into him. The plan was presumably to make something like himself. He calls the man Adam. He sets Adam to work, taking care of the garden and naming all the animal species. And that's when Adam realizes there really isn't a suitable partner for him to help him with his work. So God puts Adam to sleep, takes out a rib, and shapes the rib into a woman. The woman didn't get a name. She was just called the woman because she came from man and was made from man. God actually has a name in this story. He's called the Lord God with small capital letters in the word Lord. 
which is how English translations um, often let you know that the Hebrew text is using a proper name for the specific God. Often God gets called the Lord or, or God, which I suppose is a bit like calling your mother mom instead of a given name, but the Lord God is meant to indicate a proper name, not just a title. So, uh, so yeah, God actually gets a name in this story, and the man gets a name. He's named Adam, and many of the animals have a name, and the woman does not get a name. She only exists in relationship to the Lord God and to Adam, and nothing ever changes. Then one day, they're hanging out in the garden, and there's this, this serpent there, and he's so smart. He can talk like Adam, and the woman can talk. I don't know about his motivations. Is he jealous that Adam is in charge of the garden? Is he bored? Is he not trying to cause a problem even? Is he worried about the woman? It doesn't matter because he's just a plot device. He's got to provide the inciting incident in this story, and all that starts the action is a question. Did God really tell you not to eat fruit from any tree in the garden? And the woman says, oh, actually we can, but we can't even touch the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden or we will die. You won't surely die, he says. God knows that if you eat from it, you'll become like God and no good and evil. This was not a lie, although the woman may not have known about lies yet. She was so innocent. So the woman, who didn't know the difference between good and evil, saw that the fruit was good for gaining wisdom, and she wanted it. She wanted to know more. God knew more. What could be the harm in this? So the woman stepped closer to the tree, and she picked a fruit and saw that she did not die. Adam was watching. He said nothing. Perhaps he thought if she did die, it was okay because he had more ribs left. Then she looked at the fruit, and she ate it, and still she did not die. Adam observed that she did not die. She offered him a piece of fruit, and he ate it. Then they both knew things they'd never known before. Part of that might have been exciting, and part of it was kind of scary. They realized that they were naked. None of the animals had clothes, the serpent didn't have clothes, but they felt that they should have clothes to cover their bodies. They wanted to be private. They'd never wanted privacy before. So they sewed together fig leaves. Then God called for them, and they knew he would know, and with their newfound knowledge, they knew he'd be unhappy with them. Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent for deceiving her, although I'm not sure what lie she was claiming to be told. God cursed everyone. Eve would grow humans in her own body and give birth to babies, but it would hurt. Adam would have to work to grow food because God was kicking them out of the garden where enough food grew on trees. Then the Lord God killed an animal, probably the first death they'd ever seen, and forced them to wear the skins as clothing, even though they'd already made their own clothes. Was this an act of kindness, or was it a punishment for daring to try to be more like him? There was another tree in the center of the garden. It was the tree of life, and if they ate from it, they'd live forever. God didn't want them to be able to live forever in the perfect garden now that they knew good and evil like he did. They could only be like him in one way, apparently. So it was true that if they ate the fruit, they would die, but only because if they ate it, God would no longer allow them to stay alive forever, as he had been doing by letting them eat from the tree of life. So he drove them out of the garden and blocked the way back with huge frightening angels and a sword that was on fire, and they could never go back. Starting life over outside the perfect garden of Eden was probably scary. But Adam named his wife Eve because she'd be the mother of every living person. And Eve got pregnant and they had babies. This story claims that the woman was a troublemaker who dared to question and learn and grow. Then she was blamed by God for the choices God himself made to punish her because he couldn't stand for the woman to be like him. 
And according to this myth, the real forbidden fruit was knowledge, and the first mother, Eve, by taking the forbidden knowledge, was the one who kick-started every change and growth in the history of the world. Everything bad that could ever happen, but everything good, too. And she gave birth to every human and everyone who ever asked a question, and we continue that tradition today. How's that for a just-so story? How the humans got their curiosity. That's a bit of a feminist spin on the Adam and Eve story, since to be honest, I don't think I can tell this story without an obvious bias in it, and that's why I told it twice today. Do you think it was brave of Eve to question the most powerful being in her world and try to gain more knowledge anyways? Or do you think she should have played it safe, followed the rules, and stayed in the garden, even if that meant staying the same forever? I actually have chased knowledge and wisdom, even though making my own decisions about my life alienated me from my parents, who had up to that point, even when I had my own kids, controlled a lot of my biggest decisions. I don't regret my choice at all. For a cultural connection this, to this story, check out She Unnames Them, a short story by Ursula K. Le Guin that you might be expected to read if you take a modern American literature course in college. Oh, I almost forgot. There's an important quote in this story. You should take special note of the words in the curse God put on Adam. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. The idea of man as dust is really prolific in our culture. I think, in a way, telling people they're made of stardust is a response to this idea. A famous song based on the idea of humans being dust is Dust in the Wind by Kansas. You should look it up on YouTube. And I bet now that you know this phrase and concept, you'll start noticing it in a lot of stories and arts and songs. If you notice any references, send me a message about it. I'm definitely interested in hearing what you've noticed. I've had a bit of stressful stuff going on, so I'm going to take off next week and try to get ahead with my story writing. I'll be back with another episode on November 21st or November 19th if you follow the podcast on Patreon, when I'll be telling some stories about Jesus from the Gospel of John. Thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you're able. And don't forget for early access and some of my behind-the-scenes thoughts on the stories, become a patron on Patreon for just $1 a month. Or for $5 a month, you get access to a bonus podcast and you get to know you're giving me even more money. Maybe that makes you feel good. I don't know. As always, our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child. Star Child.